to everyone today on the podcast today. Good morning. Hope you are enjoying the beautiful weather outside today. Welcome back to another episode on what to do about gambling. I'm Michael. I'm here with my co-hosts, Gabby and Will. Today, we're going to be talking about the different approaches to decreasing gambling and what strategies we think are most effective. Yeah, we'll also be talking about the different studies that shed light on the current approaches to gambling, including harm reduction and prevention, their efficacy and future directions. Before we start, we just want to play a video that really shows how important it is to have effective solutions to gambling. Okay, so how did I finally overcome my addiction to gambling? Now, of course, I am no psychologist, so take all this information with a grain of salt, you know, be completely skeptical. But what really worked for me was to come face to face with my addiction. If for you, if it's gambling, um, smoking, alcohol, or, or whatever it is, denial is what hamstrings the road to recovery. If you can never own it and admit to it, then you'll never overcome it. Once I faced that truth in my life, the next step was figuring out what to do next and what approach I should take. I think. So that video clip was from a YouTube video called How I Overcame My Gambling Addiction, posted by Derek Berzy on September 15, 2021. And as you might have inferred, Derek is someone who struggled with the gambling addiction in poker and more. And that clip was a part of the segment of the video where Derek describes his experience recognizing his addiction and how he figured out what method worked for him, which leads us to our topic today. So Gabby, I know you've done previous research on the therapeutic approach. What did you find when you looked into the therapeutic approach and its effectiveness of harm reduction? Although there are many studies that have been conducted with various methods of intervention, one that really stood out to me was this one harm reduction intervention. And what a harm reduction intervention looks like is that after experiencing the therapy intervention, there was a reduction in the day spent on gambling and the money at risk for loss. Uh, one study that I looked at had college-age disordered gamblers go through acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT for short, and then gave these people MRI scans while they did a slot machine activity. And it turns out that a large number of studies have been conducted using ACT as the tool. So what exactly is the acceptance and commitment therapy? And what does it look like? Great question. As the name suggests, it's a form of therapy that emphasizes taking in and accepting psychological problems instead of avoiding them. And during these sessions, the therapist would help the client believe that contrary to their thoughts, that they are limited by their addiction, these thoughts are just thoughts and the client can act and do whatever they want. The six major components of ACT that I found include cognitive diffusion, which is the concept that thoughts are just ideas in our heads and don't have full control over our behavior. Acceptance meaning being open towards all internal experiences, engaging the present moment, self as context, defining individual values, and committed action. Hmm. So how would ACT be used for specifically pathological gambling? So if ACT is successful, gambling would be made less appealing to gamblers because the therapy disrupts what is called relational networks between stimuli and creating relational frames that would compete with pre-existing relational frames held by the gambler. So an example would be, We'd be changing how the individual views gambling from something that earned the person money instead of a job to something that doesn't pay bills and causes that person to miss out on spending time with their family and friends. Interesting. So this actually worked in a study? The researchers found that after treatment, gamblers reported higher rates of psychological flexibility and mindfulness compared to control gamblers who didn't receive ACT. So this data suggests that psychological reconditioning of behavioral and neurological responses to different addictive stimuli is possible using ACT. Wow, so it sounds like it did work. 
Sounds like a promising way to help people spend less time gambling and also have them lose less money. Well, as good and promising as this method sounds, there are a couple of issues, and one big one is the cost. This method is really expensive, which means it's not as accessible to many people. Also, seeing how well ACT works is really reliant on self-reporting of the gamblers who participate and receive the therapy. Oh, so since this approach seems to be quite hard to implement, what is something we can do at a more macro level that can have an impact on larger amounts of people? Yeah, so there are a lot of studies that propose a more public health strategy approach, which is less expensive and targets a wider group of people. What are studies that look into this, and what are the different approaches? So there was a review of 55 different studies that evaluated the effectiveness of various interventions aimed at reducing gambling behavior in youth. So the four categories that we can place public health interventions in are one, making a pre-commitment to placing limits on gambling, two, taking a period of time to not gamble, three, youth prevention programs, focusing on motivation and reflection, four, setting messages and feedback on the machines themselves that suggest stopping. Was there one strategy that was shown to be more effective over the others? So there was some evidence that showed that there were benefits for setting machine limits and messages. And in addition, there's also a push for gambling awareness campaigns to be implemented at colleges. But ultimately, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's also fascinating to think about the different academic understandings of problem gambling that help gam- that inform gambling itself as a problem. Part of the limitations of a more general approach to gambling are the varying cultural understandings of gambling, which vary for each individual. What do you mean by that? So different cultural backgrounds emphasize different aspects of gambling. For example, the French have a much more of a medical approach to gambling, viewing it as a disease out of the person's control and centered in biology. On the other hand, Finnish people emphasize how it is important to know how to deal with gambling and begin to regulate their own responses to wins and losses in gambling. So how do you think these findings are relevant to figuring out what the best possible approaches are? Well, it's crucial to understand how each individual is differently affected by many cultural and social differences, like what different peer groups say to one another about gambling. In college, the popularity of sports gambling should be considered and approaches should consider the social environment at the structural level. Well, that is very important to consider. Yeah, and to add on to this, uh, I looked at a previous intervention conducted which integrated alcohol prevention strategies with elements of gambling treatment. The intervention combines both cognitive behavioral skills training and motivational interviewing. It includes personalized normative feedback, cognitive correction, discussion of gambling consequences, and relapse prevention techniques. Students responded positively both to the motivational style and informational content of the intervention, which provides a different aspect of approaching a gambling problem using a humanistic approach. So given that we've talked about these approaches, we need a combination of both. Where do you see us heading, and what do you think will be both realistic and effective? Well, I believe that a humanistic approach, where people who have been impacted by gambling share stories to others, would be both a realistic and effective approach. Essentially, Using lived experience to promote equity in the problem of gambling would be both realistic and effective. As an example, the Massachusetts Ambassador Project was designed to acknowledge the comorbidity between gambling, substance addiction, and mental health disorders. The need for holistic and comprehensive prevention strategies to emphasize the health of the whole community and the disproportionate impact of problem gambling on historically marginalized and oppressed populations. 
They're able to connect the field of problem gambling prevention to the community experience using both a public health, public health and social justice lens. In short, community members with lived experience were engaged with focus group participants that included priority populations, such as men, in recovery from a substance use disorder. I believe that others considering how to begin or enhance problem gambling work should acknowledge the disconnect between problem gambling prevention and the lived experience of those disproportionately impacted. Specifically, those that have been historically marginalized and oppressed and face the greatest level of inequities by creating opportunities for community voice to be at the center of program development and implementation. Yeah, wow, Michael, that's awesome to hear. And I agree. I believe that interactions with people that have experienced the problem of gambling would be such an important prevention strategy, along with a public health approach. I also would like to agree. And to end on this episode, I would like to add one more point. Prevention starts with first understanding the problem of gambling as well as community engagement. Only then will the problem of gambling begin to decrease. Thank you all for listening.